Yo, what's going on, y'all? This is Udon Cheek, assistant track and field coach at East Carolina University. You are plugged into the Sports Objective Podcast. If you are a fan, you are plugged into the right place. And if you're really a fan, you will share that link. My heart is purple and gold. I'm a pirate down to my soul. And I don't back down, not at all. Find out when the cannons explode. Boom! It's time now for the Sports Objective Podcast. No talking heads, just guys who love sports. Here's Dave Richmond. Welcome into the Sports Objective Podcast. I'm Dave Richmond, along with ladies and gentlemen, Kyle from LaGrange Barber. Oh, man. I'm doing good. wonderful. You don't sound too good. I'll talk about, I think I know why. We'll talk about that in just a second. Bubba Rosenbaum, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Um, tough hump day, Kyle? No, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Any hump day is a good day, but uh, yeah. no, it's, uh, it's just been kind of a yeah, you know, with with, with COVID nineteen news breaking and uh, everything else going wrong in the world, and I got a headache, and it's just uh, it's just you know, it's it, it's the times. I thought it was because uh, we'll open up our roundtable now. But before we do that, wait a minute, let's get our two guests that we're going to have on a really really big show. That'll be my adjective for Kyle. Um, Bubba, who are the two guests we have on tonight? Yep. Um, the, the first part of the show, we'll catch up with Randall Thrill Hill. Uh, he's a Hall of Fame wide receiver for the U. Um, played back in the late 80s and uh, 87 to 90 to be exact. Won a couple of national titles. I'm playing for Jimmy Johnson and Dennis Erickson um, and was well known for his dancing and uh, some of the some of the antics uh, that he and his teammates did uh, when they played with so much swagger back in those days. But uh, we'll catch up with him and uh, see what he has going on. And then um, we'll also talk to Steve Robertson. We've had Steve on the show multiple times before. Uh, I think the most recent was when Mike Leach was hired. Uh, So uh, we'll catch up with Steve and see how things are going with the Bulldogs as it pertains to COVID-19, race relations, and it's certainly been no secret in the sports world that the SEC and then obviously the NCAA have said that no postseason events will be in Starkville until um, that state flag is no longer being flown. So we'll discuss that and a lot more with Steve, and uh, it should be an excellent conversation. And we'll start off our, our roundtable because Kyle from the Grange, the reason he sounds bad today, a little down, we're going to cheer him back up. Um, but breaking news today that East Carolina hired a volleyball coach. So are you okay? I thought you were um, you were polishing up the resume. You were getting the suit was at the cleaners, and then you don't even get a chance. Uh, to I, thought the job was, I thought the job was mine. But no, uh, we we hired a volleyball coach. Uh, what's his name again, uh, Dave? Adler Augustine. Adler Augustine. Augustine yeah, uh, great name. Um, yes, it is. We'll see if he turns out to be a great coach. Uh, interesting hire. Uh, looking at his bio, at first I was I was very impressed because uh, I thought he was the head coach of Stephen F. Austin, uh, but he's an associate head coach at uh, Stephen F. Austin. Um, uh, had some head coaching experience at the club level. Uh, just just find that interesting. Not to say he's not a hell of a coach because you know who knows he may uh, you know get us to the NCAA tournament uh, in yeah. volleyball his first year, but. Uh, I just I just find it interesting that we're hiring an assistant coach from a Southland school in Stephen F. Austin uh, as our head coach as an American Athletic Conference school. Um, 
obviously uh, probably some budget issues there. So, uh, you know, it could be part of it. Or John Gilbert may have just flat out thought he was the best man for the job after all the interviews. Um, but I, I just I just found that interesting. And again, this is nothing against him. He, he may turn out to be the greatest hit coach in volleyball history at East Carolina. But I just did find that interesting. You don't see it very often that an assistant coach is hired from a Southland school to become a head coach in a conference like the American um, in any sport. And um, like you were saying, Kyle, um, when you initially thought he was the head coach of the Lumberjack program, um, over the last five years, the Lumberjacks have won 129 matches and uh, three Southland conference titles uh, in the regular season, two conference tournament championships, and um, in two of those two of those seasons they went undefeated in the league in a, a pair of NCAA tournaments. So they certainly had a lot of success, and hopefully he'll be able to uh, take a lot of those things he learned in, uh, there at Stephen F. Austin and bring them to the Pirate program. Yeah, maybe you know, maybe we should look at the, whoever the head coach is there. Maybe uh, all the success started once he got there. Maybe he is the Lincoln Riley, if you will, of volleyball. I mean, who knows? Yeah, he's got a great name, and uh, Bubba, let's uh, see if we can get him on here pretty soon. I know he yeah, probably has a piss him off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's fair. I think it's fair. We're all getting a chance to know each other. He's going to know Pirate Nation, and we get a chance to to know him. And um, like you said, uh, the thing about a coaching hire is you never know. And I'm saying this generically, not even about him. We never know how it's going to turn out, right? I think yeah, that not, if you not, if you look at well, sometimes you just know it's right, Cliff Godwin. But yeah. in general, sure, it's a gamble. Yeah, I, I think Adler, uh, Augustine would say the same thing himself. I mean, and honestly, excuse me, it's a much different level. And, you know, I'm um, but, up about him, Bubba. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Coach Augustine's hiring got me choked up. But, but no, um, thinking back several years ago now when uh, Tommy Bowden was let go at Clemson and, and they made that decision to promote Dabo Sweeney, I'm sure a lot of those Clemson folks probably second guess that uh, making a position coach and then the full time yeah. the full time coach and uh, look, look where they are now. So uh, not not that he'll do those sort of things, <laughs> but um, you can't always uh, you can't always judge a book by its cover. I guess and I'll use that cliche. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see that and. Obviously, I'm I'm just relieved. I know that uh, Kyle, you we've all been talking it off uh, show, off air, and on air. Um, we were curious when um, when we were going to uh, have a volleyball a volleyball coach, and here we are. We have a volleyball coach, so that's good. The season starts in a couple months, and um, I would believe that the season would start hopefully with COVID nineteen. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. I know you were going. I knew you were going there, so. Um, we've worked. To, <laughs> that's what's so great is when you have any kind of relationship, we can finish. We can all finish each other's sentences. Now, I knew where you're going with that, and um, you know, I think uh, with volleyball, and now we've got that out of the way. I think it'll be pretty soon. Um, maybe Kyle now will go for the pirate club director position. I don't know, but that's uh, that's got to be handled. Yeah, well, well, Eric uh, Eric Ward said last night that uh, the position has been posted, so we are actively searching. Or new executive director of the Pirate Club, so uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see who we hire to fill that position. I'd love to see somebody with some Pirate DNA um, yeah. get in here for that position. Um, doesn't have to be. Uh, you, you can have somebody who gets it 
that uh, that doesn't have an East Carolina background, but I just kind of think right now we need that. I think that one thing that uh, I think conventional wisdom would be that you would hire somebody, you know, that, that goes to the uh, – I'm not to pick on the folks in the Pirate Club because I like them all, um, but goes to the convention of, you know, the educational foundations. They meet all the time, and, you know, that that would be the normal route. And I think, Kyle, you're absolutely right. I hate to use the term. It's overused outside the box. But I really believe that uh, a guy we're going to have in August, he's probably not interested in the job, but the name you mentioned, George Kuntz. We need somebody – we need. This is what we need. I do think we need somebody with a pirate DNA because normally we would just have to have somebody that gets it. But we need a guy, that, a man or woman, that can walk in the room. When they walk in the room, then you're like, wow, it's the it factor. The, oh, my God, it's George Coons. Let me get out my wallet now, my checkbook, and give a um, $1,000 or $100 or whatever you can give, and a million dollars, whatever. We need that right now. And I'm hoping that... We don't just get somebody that is, uh, again, a quote-unquote professional. While that's great, not saying that they wouldn't be qualified, but I do think that we've got to hire a huge name would be fantastic, the Ruffin McNeils of the world, the George Kuntz's, something that would be a, when you read the headline, the press release, and you see that name on the paper, that you you would say, wow, I can't believe that he or she is coming to East Carolina as the next um, director of the Pirate Club. What do you think, Bob? Yeah, uh, I mean, something like that would be nice. I, I'm not going to hold my breath. I think Ruffin wants to get back into coaching now when right. he can. Um, who knows? I, I think Coons should be contacted. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if George is interested in the job, but to me, uh, you know, I, I don't know if he's done any fundraising. Obviously, he's worked in an administration position. He's, he's working at a school right now out in Wisconsin. Um uh, it, it might not be something he's even interested in, but uh, it sure does seem like he should be talked to about it. Well, you think about it, with George Kuntz in, in particular, um, he is an East, Eastern North Carolina guy, not too far away from Greenville. He comes back home, and the fact that he, I'm sure that at some point, he told us he would be, like when we were looking for an athletic director, he would love to have the opportunity to, he had been here with under Holland, um, if he had the opportunity to be athletic director, I think that's something he wants to be at some point. Uh, one of the most important parts of that job would not be is to fundraise. I mean, I'm not saying you have to be the greatest fundraiser to be athletic well, director, but I get what you're saying. It's a stepping stone job. Uh, yeah, you know, Gilbert, you know, won't be here forever. Uh, so if Coos could come back to the head of the Pirate Club, uh, if he does a good job, he could position himself to perhaps. Uh, Dave Hart did that. Yeah, maybe down the line, you know, several years from now. Um, you, uh, you guys, uh, yeah, y'all wanna, y'all wanna go to one of our, one of, one of our guests and then come back? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, and go ahead and go to that interview right now with, uh, University of Miami Hall of Fame wide receiver Randall Thrill Hill. Well, anytime we can talk football on this show, we're very happy and Bubba, we're very excited to have our next guest. Absolutely, Dave. Uh, hoping for some football here in a couple months, and right now I'm very excited to be joined by University of Miami Hall of Fame wide receiver Randall Thrill Hill. Randall, welcome into the show. Hey, thanks for having me, uh, guys. Absolutely wanted to have you on. Uh, like I said in the intro there, we love talking football, and especially the, one of the greats in college football history and one of the biggest programs in the history of college football with the U, the University of Miami. 
can you talk about your time in Miami starting off with how did you get recruited and can you kind of give the back story? <laughs> you know, some people have heard this story, but it is a very interesting story. Um, I was recruited by every major university in the United States. Um, but a lot of, but the story behind the story is a lot of people don't know that I, I never played wide receiver until I got to the University of Miami. I was an all-American defensive back. So even when I visited Florida State and Alabama and Notre Dame, you know, they would roll out the red carpet for me. Um, and, and even going to, to uh, visit Florida State on an official visit, um, meeting me at the airport, they had the governor, Bob Graham, they had Bobby Bowden, um, Deion Sanders, and the legendary Burt Reynolds there at the, uh, at, the, at the airport. So lo and behold, I actually uh, verbally committed to Florida State. And, um, you know, I, I came home, and, and I was talking to my, my mom and my dad, and I told them I was going to go to Florida State. It was actually in the newspaper. So if you check the periodicals, it will show you in, where Randall committed to Florida State. So what my dad did was um, he took me over to my, my grandparents' house, his, yeah, his, his parents' house. And my, my dad told my, my grandparents that I was going to go to Florida State. Well, my grandfather looked at me. And he said, well, son, you know you're my favorite grandchild. And um, I hear that you are, you know, thinking about going to Florida State, which is a good university. But, son, you know, I, I think you, there's a nice university right here, and, uh, and me and your grandmother would love to see you stay here and grow up to be a, a nice young man. Son, I think you need to go to University of Miami. Yes, granddad, I'm going to University of Miami. So the whole <laughs> recruiting um, issue would have been solved if um, my dad would have taken me to my, grand, my grandparents' house initially because, you know, I, I believe in family. Uh, yeah, I was wild and crazy on the field, but um, I come from a, from a very strong family, a, a, a family of educators. Uh, my wife's a doctor. My dad is a retired high school principal. My mom's a retired teacher. So uh, I believe in listening to my, my parents, unlike some of the guys of, of, uh, of some of the young players of 2020. So... Uh, guys, if you're listening, make sure you listen to your parents. Now, Randall, um, taking a look um, at, at your recruitment a little bit more, um, obviously the Hurricanes prior to your arrival back, uh, I guess maybe what your freshman year of high school, had won a national title under Howard Schnellenberger in 1983. Um, but then um, obviously Jimmy Johnson took over. So talk about uh, Coach Johnson and that staff and, uh, and what they were like, um, I guess particularly on the recruiting trail and then once you – arrived in Cool Gables there on campus? Well, most, you know, and people talk to me all the time where they want to get my opinion about, about the recruiting classes and, and athletes and, and how to um, find good athletes. But if you look, and I don't care what people say, because some, some people say times have changed, but what I'm getting ready to tell you right now has not changed. If you look at Jimmy Johnson and how he recruited, yes, he recruited people who or, or student athletes that have athletic abilities, but Jimmy Johnson recruited a personality. He recruited an attitude. He recruited individuals who failed to lose. He recruited individuals who had the drum major instinct, which is the want, will, and or desire to be the best. Um, and, and that's what it was. I mean, if you look at, you know, Alonzo Highsmith, uh, one of the University of Miami's greats, he was, a, he was an All-American linebacker at Columbus High School. Um, and, and look at Russell Maryland, who was not even highly recruited. 
he became the first pick of the draft. Look at Cortez Kennedy. Cortez Kennedy um, was picked up coming from a junior college. So I get sick and tired of hearing about, oh, well, they got this many five-star athletes. That means nothing to me. Recruit a personality. Recruit individuals who fail to lose. You give me individuals who fail to lose against your five-star athletes, and I'll kick your butt every time. That's a nice segue. I was going to ask you that very question of, with your alma mater now with the University of Miami, seeing the great, I'll tell you what, those documentaries, those 30 for 30s, I was going to ask you about that in a second, but one of the things I'd forgotten about is that very thing of the attitude. That's, I, I think the word I use for you guys, I don't know if it's fair or not, but you guys had a swagger about you that was infectious. You know, like everybody was like, wow, um, unless you're playing Miami. Um, right. But the, question, <laughs> but the question I had for you is, I hear these talking heads, um, and I'm sure you love those too, but these talking heads on the you know the, the sports networks that always talk about the Miamis and the Notre Dames are you know basically living off their name. I'm using their word. Um, do you feel like there's a missing swagger at the University of Miami and some of the other big name programs that that are different than what you guys had? I think that there's a missing personality um, to a certain degree because it, you know and and this now this does come with changing of time. You have a lot of these young athletes now who've never played a down in, uh, in college football who swear that they're going to go play professional football. So their mind is on professional football, but they haven't even won a national championship yet. Their mind is on professional football, they haven't played a down in college football. Um, their mind is on professional football, and they haven't broken any records or, or, or made one, or one touchdown or one interception, one fumble recover, recovery in college football. It's a now, now, now mentality. Whereas when you played at the University of Miami back in the day, uh, under Jimmy Johnson, and, and even, you know, with uh, uh, Notre Dame, um, under Lou Holtz, Bobby Bowden at Florida State, you earn, your, you earn your time on the field by playing special teams. For example, when we first got to the University of Miami, um, I got there in 87, and there, was, there were 10 of us who did not redshirt, 10 of us. And they had just come off of losing in, uh, in the Fiesta Bowl, um, losing Vinny Testaverde, Heisman Trophy winner, losing a lot of key elements. Yet and still, we still won a national championship. And that's because that we had the key ingredients, along with probably one of the greatest coaches in college football, and Jimmy Johnson, to say, hey, this is how we're going to win, and we will win. And you take control over special teams and, uh, as young, young players. And a lot of times now, these guys, they come in and, and they think they're going to be starting receivers or, or starting running back or I'm going to be starting middle line. No, you're not. Learn how to play the game, learn what it takes to win, and then take it to the next level. I'm not saying that it can't happen for you where you come in and become a starter, but you know what? You haven't even paid your dues yet. And a lot of these young guys, that's, they think that they're going to be – let's just do the math, okay? Out of 1.5 million um, – High school seniors, only three to four hundred thousand make it to, to to D1 college football. Out of the three to four hundred thousand that make it to D1 college football, uh, only uh, three hundred, uh, approximately three hundred, will, uh, will be invited to the NFL scouting combine. Out of that three hundred, there's going to be what two hundred, two hundred and fifty that uh, uh, that make it drafted, and then out of that number, you only one hundred and fifty um, to one hundred and eighty will see their pensions. So. It's like hitting the lottery. Not saying that you can't do it, but you know what? Pay your dues, have fun, focus on college football first, and then worry about the next level. 
I was going to ask you that as far as uh, Miami, uh, what do you think about the current uh, staff? What do you think about the current program? Uh, you guys, I know, have were, like you were talking about, the winners, the swagger. Uh, do you think that's coming back now in Miami? Well, listen, I'm, I'm always asked that question. Is Miami back? Is Miami going to be back? And, and yeah. let's just say Miami wins a game, a big game. Is, is the University of Miami back? Well, no, they're not back. Uh, they're not close to being back because in order for you to be back, you have to win consistently. Not just win a big game, but you have to win all of your games. You're talking to someone who played at the University of Miami, and in four years at the University of Miami without redshirting, I only lost four games. First year, I lost not one single game. Second year, we lost one game. Uh, third year, we lost uh, one game, and then my last year, we lost two. So you'll be back. You know, you will be back when they actually, not, oh, let's, you know, the whole thing now is, okay, let, let's just win the Coastal. Okay, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. Um, win right. national championships, and then that's when the University of Miami be back. Go back to back, and then that's when you, see, you talk about being back. The only way, the only way you can say being back is saying going back to back. <laughs> okay. Yeah, very good point. Another thing is uh, you're talking about Jimmy Johnson. I've uh, always loved him. Uh, what made Coach very special? Say again? I was asking about uh, – you were talking about Coach uh, Jimmy Johnson. What made mm-hmm. Coach very special to you? Well, Jimmy Johnson was a no-nonsense type of guy, um, and he was a type of guy who didn't – I remember one time somebody <laughs> got hurt on the field and we were getting ready to play Florida State. And, of course, the trainers came out and took care of that player. But Jimmy Johnson literally said, move it up 10. We don't have time um, to wait because we're playing Florida State this weekend. That is what you're talking about. Yeah, you take care of the player who is, who is injured, but you know what? There's also a game that has to be played that weekend. Now, also, Jimmy Johnson did not believe in having dumb players around him. So a lot of people don't know, we, even though we – won championships, we also had one of the highest graduation rates in the country. And if you didn't go to class, Jimmy Johnson would make sure that you didn't have your scholarship the next year. And Jimmy Johnson would send his coaches to your class because he had the schedules of all, all the players, and the coaches would make sure that they would stick their head in the door to make sure that you were in class. So, you know, it, it wasn't just a winning uh, attitude on the field. It was also a winning attitude off the field. Um, and Jimmy Johnson didn't settle for anything less. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, Randall, is um, during those years, and um, I had to step away for a moment. So I apologize if you've already touched on this a bit, but um, just the swagger those teams had, uh, like was well documented um, in the in the U thirty for thirty two part series. Um, one of the things that really stood out is, of course, the I guess um, a product of that swagger and just and the way you guys um, when you made a big play um, you celebrated it and um, and so forth and you think of the smoke at the Orange Bowl when you guys entered the stadium. Um, just talk about talk about that swagger and um, and the way you guys play the game. Well, uh, University of Miami's style of play was uh, as a true freshman um, playing against University of Florida. Now University of Florida had all the weapons. They had Kerwin Bell. They had Jarvis, uh, not Jarvis, they, they had Lewis, uh, Lewis Oliver. They had, um, they had everybody. They had Emmett Smith. And they came down into the Orange Bowl. And I remember watching some of my players after we finished warming up, literally going and standing in front of, uh, the University of Florida's uh, locker room 
and telling the, and telling the University of Florida to go around them, don't touch them. And I'm like, okay, these guys are crazy. <laughs> um, but it's infectious. Um, that winning attitude, that uh, that swagger, as you say, um, it, it surrounds and engulfs you. And the thing I really liked about it was um, we had it in practice, we had it in the classroom, um, and we also were taught, and I learned early, that um, we were like wolves, we're like a pack of wolves, and wolves do eat their own. So if you didn't have the same type of attitude as the rest of the uh, rest of the team, which was the attitude that we will win uh, at all costs on the field, um, then wolves do eat their own. One question I had for you, uh, Randall, as far as current day, do you like the uh, being a former player in national championships? Do you like the current format of the basically the Final Four and uh, all, if you do, would you like to see an expansion to eight teams? Um, I I do like the I do like the four. Um, eight will be fine. Um, because it, it does help to to actually solidify a national champion. Um, and if we did that back in the day, I probably would have walked away with four rings, literally. Wow. Um, because uh, I, I mean that's just how good we were. And uh, when it was when it was on the line, we won games. So yeah, I do like the format. Um, I, I I but I do think with this format that they have, I think it should be adjusted a little bit because I do think that if you do have a a uh, if you're in a conference and I and you win your conference, I think that you should you know you should be in the in the playoff system, um, unlike. Before, uh, you know, with, you know, like I want to say a couple of years ago, you had two, um, two SEC teams that were in the, in the playoffs, but only one of them won the conference. So that, that makes no sense to me. Um, when your conference and, and, and you're in, let, let, let's just put it like that. When your conference and you're in. Right. Keep it simple, right? Yep. Absolutely. Now, Randall, a, a specific play that I wanted to ask you about um, it's, it's been well documented and was, was included, of course, in the 30 for 30, the U, um, the, the deep ball you called in the 46 to 3 um, shellac in a Texas at the Cotton Bowl that really could have been worse, and then the celebration that ensued with you coming back down the, the tunnel firing pistols. Uh, mm -hmm. Was that something, uh, is that maybe a thought that entered your mind uh, Prior to the game, or just maybe no. when you were in when you were in warm ups, or, or or is that something that was just kind of uh, spontaneous as the game uh, any, as, as any, that play happened? Anybody who knows me would tell you that I don't pre-plan things. Never have. I'm, I'm a fly by night, see to see to my pants uh, type of guy. Um, and everything I do, everything that I did was was very spontaneous. Uh, didn't plan celebrations. Um, things that I you know do and did, it came from the heart. Um, and the way I looked at it was every single play as a professional um, or, co or collegiate athlete uh, could be your very last play. So why not approach each play like it is your last play? If it was your last catch, how would you celebrate it? If it was your last run, how would you celebrate it? If it was your last fumble recovery, how would you celebrate it? So because, again, it very well could be. So that's that's the approach that that I took. That it was my last play, um, and and look at it. That was my last catch at the University of Miami. So I had fun with it. And um, 
So there toward the, the latter part of your career, you, you had that coaching change with Coach Johnson on uh, making the decision to, to go to the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, so with Dennis Erickson coming in, uh, talk about that transition and um, the difference in styles between those two coaches. It was, a, it was a hard transition for a lot of guys, and specifically me, um, because we were very loyal to, to Coach Johnson. Um, and, you know, we won because we already had, a, had, a, had it in us. Now, Coach Erickson, great guy. Um, he, you know, helped organize um, a lot of what was going on, but we were already on, on cruise control because the winning attitude, the winning personality was already there. Coach Erickson just got in the car and he drove that car, um, which is fine. Um, um, but, again, you know, that transition was, was kind of tough for us, um, for a lot of guys, but we made it work and uh, we still won a national championship uh, with uh, under Coach Erickson in his very first year. Is there a game or maybe a team, Randall, that I know you guys, cause like you said, uh, and I believe it, I was a teenager at the time you guys were – winning all the time and on um, national television. Is there a program, maybe a certain game you wish you had played in, you guys, that, you know, like, we wish you to play a certain team? I don't understand the question. In other words, back in the day when you were at Miami, is there a team that you would have liked to have played against? You know, is it Penn State or is it a different team? No, because I, think about it. Uh, one year, we, I, I, we always want, I've always wanted to play against uh, quality teams. Right. And one year we beat the preseason number one, the SEC champion, the Pac-10 champion, uh, and um, we also won the bowl game. So I did it. <laughs> we did it. So uh, we took them all down, and, and you know, and, and, and it was fun doing it. So we, you know, you know, playing against the Florida State, uh, Alabama, Notre Dame. Um, it didn't matter uh, who we played against. Um, Arkansas. Um, we had a lot of fun um, beating teams. We had a lot of fun going. Uh, to different stadiums and beating them, especially in in their own backyard, um, because we didn't settle for, for being second best. We've talked about a player too, but in in your mind, um, in in your opinion, like what are some of the uh, the plays that really stand out? I, I know you had one a tremendous catch in a twenty-seven to ten victory over number one Notre Dame there at the Orange Bowl um, that folks made a big deal about uh, on a, on a third and forty-three of all things. Um, but what are some plays that stand out to you that, that were really tremendous? Well, that that I mean, I had a handful of them. Um, but the, the third and forty-three was was probably the, the the biggest play in the University of Miami history. Um, it's still considered one of the top plays in college college football history because the, everything was on the line. Um, beating Notre Dame after them stealing a uh, national championship from us uh, the year before by by the, the missed call by the official. Uh, playing on national TV, uh, playing against uh, a coach who I really respected, um, and Lou Holtz, who recruited me to go to the University of Notre Dame, um, playing in the Orange Bowl in front of our hometown fans here in 305, uh, and also looking at that that game propelling us forward to winning another national championship. So by far, I would say uh, winning that game in that particular play Third and forty-three. Come on, you talking about third and half, half of the field? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and you know, and most and most players and most coaches would think that okay, let's run a let's run a draw play or let's run a let's run a run play just to get some yards back so we can punt the ball. Not at the University of Miami. 
not uh, in Miami, not in front of University of Miami fans, not on national TV. Um, plays like that, you, you, not only do you get a first down, but you also get style points because of how you did it, where you did it, and who you did it in front of. Randall, can you tell folks uh, what you're up to now? Uh, currently right now, um, like a lot of people don't don't know, um, you know, I yeah, I was wild and crazy on the field. I did a lot of crazy things on the field. But you talk to someone who's never had any illegal drugs before, you talk to someone who's never had anything alcoholic before. Um, I'm currently married, um, and my, me and my wife, we've been together for 33 years. Um, she, she is a board-certified internal medicine doctor. Um, she is um, Phi Beta Kappa uh, Honors at University of Miami. Um, first, uh, one that, uh, first African American be inducted in, uh, as a, as a honors chemistry major at University of Miami. Her name was engraved on the wall long before mine was. Um, and I, I live here in, in Davie, Florida, and currently right now, since I did lead a clean life and I did listen to my parents, and I can't stress that over and over again to some of the, the, the young listeners, um, I'm actually a federal agent, believe it or not. Oh, wow. That's all. Awesome. And, uh, you Hello? and your wife have have a have a pair of daughters, correct? And, then, and I know one of those daughters is actually a gator. Yes, she's a gator, and if we, if we want to discuss that, we can discuss that too. My my daughter is uh she has an over a five point GPA, fourteen eighty on the SAT. She applied to go to the University of Miami. She did get into the University of Miami, but what happens is even though she applied for a merit based scholarship. They only offered her a partial scholarship because um, even though it's merit-based, they also look at the parent's income. And I know this for a fact because there was another young lady who, you know, God bless her, but didn't have the same accolades as my daughter, and they gave her a full tuition to go to University of Miami. So that, that's one of the things that, that does bother me about the University of Miami. It's not like in Alabama. Like Alabama, and people say, well, it has everything to do with University of Miami being a private school, which I think that's BS. You go to the University of Alabama, you play football there, you stay out of trouble, whether you be a walk-on or not, all your kids go to school there for free. That is an incentive to have to, to, for, for players to go to the University of Alabama. The University of Miami could do the same thing. They could do the same exact thing. But they, 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 uh, they constantly think about money, and they want money, money, money. And even though my daughter has better grades than a, uh, and, and better accolades than uh, a young lady who went to the same high school as my daughter but didn't have the same uh, 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 grades and or test scores, they only offer my daughter partial scholarship because they figured that me and my wife, who's a doctor, would pay for her to go to the University of Miami. Wrong. My daughter deserves um, the best. Uh, University of Florida offered her the best. University of Florida is, is a higher-ranked school when it comes to academics, um, and the alumni base is, 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 is very large. So my daughter's going to go to the University of Florida, and she's going to be a Gator. And if I do have to give any money, it's going to go to the University of Florida. Wow. You heard it here first. Wow. Uh, I didn't expect uh, – Oh, I, I, anyway, no, you guys ask me. I, I'm not a liar. I'm very straightforward. It is yeah. what it is. Love the University of Miami death. I support University of Miami. But – when it comes to treating people fairly and making sure that um, they get what they deserve, you know what? My daughter deserves 
a full scholarship because of her test scores, because of her grades, because of she paid the price. I've seen right. my daughter 3 o'clock in the morning studying. How can you score? I, I can't even, I, I, don't even score, I don't even think I scored half at 1480 on the SAT. Are you That's kidding me? <laughs> and and she can't get, she can't, she plays the piano like, like Liberace, but yet still, <laughs> um, they only offer her, so you tell me why they only offered her a partial scholarship, but someone else who went to her school, they only off, they, they offered her a, they offered them a full ride. It has a lot to do with, um, it's not necessarily merit-based. They also look in the parents' uh, financial uh, background. Wow. Uh, how can folks follow you on social media before we let you go? Okay. Um, you can always find me on uh, Instagram at Randall underscore Thrill underscore Hill, and that's Randall with one L. And then um, on Twitter, it's Randall Thrill Hill. Uh, and um, on Facebook, Randall Hill. Make sure you always put one L in Randall because if you put two, my mom is going to get pissed off at you. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to have you. Appreciate you coming on and spending time with us. Uh, appreciate the visit, and hopefully we can have you back on during college football season. I would love it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Randall. What a great interview. Appreciate him very much. Uh, we learned a lot, and uh, certainly a lot of talk about swagger. And I, um, I want to bring this up to you guys. Um, I really believe that when you heard that interview, it fired me up about pirate football. I know we were talking about the University of Miami. Um, they're trying to rebuild their program. Obviously, it's at a way different level than we've never seen that level of national championships, obviously. But when he, when we were talking about the word swagger, isn't that a word that you think that Mike Houston, and I hate to use the term, we've been using a lot of cliches today, but on the show, but certainly building the culture, you know, the culture, his players in. Don't you think that Mike Houston, he, he exudes swagger? Don't you think, don't you think he has swagger? Yeah. No yeah. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Um, but no, they, when, when Randall Hill was uh, uttering those words that you're talking about, as far as, um, the four and five story recruits didn't mean anything to him. Yeah. Um, um, it certainly, I felt like he was talking about kind of the East Carolina mentality in, in terms of, uh, getting guys who, who, uh, who may get overlooked for whatever reason, um, but just, just have that fire and desire and have found ways to get it done over the years. I, I felt like he was, uh, speaking as a pirate. Yeah. No question about it. Speaking of the Canes and Randall Hill, I mean, he, he wasn't on this team, but oddly enough, I was on TikTok earlier and uh, somebody had posted the, uh, the punt return against Duke, Miami had a couple years back, uh, where they where they a kickoff return against Duke, yeah. where they ran it all back with no time on the clock, all the laterals, and uh, and uh, that that play cracks me up every time I see it. Yeah, he was down, the kid's knee was down, the play should have been blown dead. But yeah. how do you let that happen? How in the hell there were Miami guys should have been tackled fifteen dozen times. Duke, do you know what? Duke deserved to lose that game. I don't care if Duke's I don't know. They deserve it. How about some of those highlight reel blocks? And Duke guys just absolutely getting decleated left and right. Yeah. And they weren't seeing anything but the sky. Yep. But, uh, yeah. Well, it was, that was a, one of the, you know, those, uh, I believe those officials were suspended after that game. But you're right, Kyle. The, uh, it should have never been where there was even an opportunity um, to get to that point where it wasn't even close. It wasn't even a close call, but the fact that they wouldn't have been able to screw it up, <laughs> screw the call up if they had uh, 
tackle the guy. So um, yeah, and also you're right with him. Interesting note of that game: Dan Hawkins uh, was uh, calling that game. There you go. <laughs> uh, we always love that. You guys ready to go to the next interview? You always love Dan Hawkins. Yeah, let's, go, Hawkins, let's yeah. go ahead and go to that next interview. Uh, then, as we're wrapping up, I had some uh, some things that I wanted to note as far as East Carolina football. But okay. before we do that, uh, let's go ahead and go to that conversation that we had uh, earlier on this afternoon with uh, from from Gene's page, Mississippi State twenty four seven site uh, journalist Steve Robertson. Well, Kyle, here in a couple months, we're certainly hoping uh, we're going to have some football. Um, but before then, a lot's been going on in the world in addition to COVID nineteen, as uh, anyone knows, and uh, right now to discuss some of those things, welcome back into the show from Gene's page, that's Mississippi State 24-7 site, Steve Robertson. Steve, glad to have you with us again. Yeah, glad to be back. I mean, it just, it's, it's been anything but boring, let's just say that. So, Yeah, <laughs> yeah no doubt. Um, so let, let's just start um, with, the, with the elephant in the room, so to speak. Uh, obviously, here within the last couple of weeks, um, a a lot of country, a lot of controversy. Excuse me, uh, dealing with the uh, Mississippi State flag, um, and so I know running back Kylan Hill a couple days ago, I think it was mid afternoon on Monday, um, was was quoted on Twitter as saying, "Either change the flag, or I won't be representing the state anymore." One hundred, and and I'm and I admit that I'm tired. So, um, what was your take on on that, and what has transpired, if anything, since then? Well, the first thing that I'll say is, yeah, you know, I commend the guy like Colin Hill with his platform uh, to be able to be a little more social conscious. I mean, you know, it's I, I am not one of those uh, shut up and play guys. I, you know, I, I think it would be easier, you know, for the backup long snapper to go out there and say something like that. But when you've got the SEC's leading rusher coming out and saying, "Hey, listen, this is what I really feel," and I'm a Mississippi guy, born and raised here. Uh, my family is here, and I'm tired of this. I'm ready to bring change. And I, I think it shows a lot of courage, and I think the way that the university, Dr. Mark Keenum came out today on television uh, and praised Colin Hill for his stance. John Cohen has been uh, very much in support of Colin Hill, as well as is the overwhelming majority of Mississippi State fans. I'm not going to sit here and tell you we have the corner of the market on progress here in Starkville. There are some people you know, from a different generation that, hey, so like, hey, let's just leave well enough alone. I mean, you know, my great-grandfather fought under that flag. And, and listen, I'm not about disrespecting my ancestors or my elders, but I am about loving my neighbors, and I mean all of them. I think every one of those neighbors around me have the same rights, and there are so many people in this state that see that symbol as a sign of racism and oppression. And it's one of those things, you know, in the, in the naivety of youth to say, hey, you know, the South will rise again. It's another thing to be a grown man and have the experience of hindsight and look back and realize, you know what, there are a lot of Mississippians that didn't have the same experience that I did, and I need to be sensitive of that. And for that reason, I believe it's time to change the flag. Now, the, my one question I would say about that is Mississippi State – the university, not the state, can't control what the state of Mississippi does. So do you think he'll 100% with that, that if the flag hasn't changed before the start of football season, he's gone? I mean, if he has the university support backing him, I mean, obviously he knows that you guys, when I say you guys, I mean Mississippi State University, can't force the state to change the flag. 
Yeah, I, I'm sure he knows that. And I actually, I, I have spoken with somebody that has, uh, has kind of shared privately that you know, perhaps the better way to kind of crack the, the egg here is if, if the state legislature doesn't get a, you know, a vote on the floor by Friday, that perhaps it's better for Colin Hill to play and then every time a microphone is in his face to use his platform then to continue to kind of parrot, you know, his stance. Like, you know what, hey, this is this has got to change because what I'm afraid of is if he doesn't play, uh, then it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. I think that he is probably one of those guys that understands what's at stake for him this year too. And I think that makes the fact that he's a senior – makes this that so much more admirable. But I think when the rubber meets the road, he will likely kind of walk it back a little bit and play because of his commitment to his to his brothers and his teammates and to uh, Mississippi State. But uh, I don't see him backing off this stance about saying, well, we'll just let it go. And, and that's one of the things that I, I've shared. I've been on the radio every day this week, and, and I continue to share with people, this is not a bump in the road. This is not something that is going to lead the headlines next week this is the time, and I'm, what I'm afraid of is if the state legislature doesn't act responsibly, that either they're going to have to have a special legislative session in the summer, or it's going to rip this state apart because we're going to be lobbying back and forth uh, for a statewide referendum in the fall. And speaking of play, that's something Kylan Hill, a tremendous, a tremendous uh, contributor for the Bulldogs, and like you mentioned, using that platform that he has as a uh, the key cog on that football team to get his message and uh, his teammates' message out there. Um, and last year as a junior, he had uh, over 1,300 yards rushing, more than five and a half yards to carry, and uh, also uh, made a tremendous impact as a receiver as well, something that would certainly uh, be continuing under Mike Leach in this, in this regime with the way they um, go about things. So, so just talk about um, kind of shifting gears a little bit, talk about, and Kylan Hill's impact on the on the football field itself. Yeah, I think one of the things is he has nothing left to prove to anybody as a rusher. You know, he is one of those guys that has done it at the highest level in this conference, and of course, has been some games better than others because of the fact that you know sometimes you face better defensive fronts. But you know, he had a chance to go out in the draft last year, elected to come back, and this offense will kind of enable him to round out his game. And there's two things that he will admit himself that he needs to really polish up. That's his pass protection and his ability as a receiver. And so he's going to get a great chance to do a lot of both this year in the air raid offense. And so other people say, well, you know, he's not going to get the same amount of touches. I, I suspect the touches will remain the same, and the all-purpose yards will likely be about the same, probably less in the rushing category and more in the receiving category. But I think this is a good situation for him and, he continues to say that he can't wait to play in the offense because he feels like it it really fits his skill set. Yeah, and, and back to the to the to the flag issue, pressure not only coming from Hill but the the NCAA and the SEC uh, saying no championships in the state of Mississippi as long as the uh, current state flag is flown. Um, I, I I guess uh, that that obviously helps Hill's calls uh, get getting support from. Not only uh, Mississippi State, but Ole Miss. Yeah, well, not with it too, but you know, because the Conference USA has also announced that they're not going to bring championships back to Mississippi, and oh, they have played. Yeah. yeah, they've played the Conference USA baseball tournament the last three years in Biloxi. You know, and, yeah. and I read an article earlier that's a four million dollar a year deal for the city of Biloxi, and so 
this is something where everybody will fill the pinch, you know, and it's not about ego or pride. And, and listen, when I was a kid back in the 1970s, you know, because I grew up in the 1900s, you know, I'm a little bit older than you guys, but, uh, you know, back in the 70s, you know, people, the rebel flag symbolized Southern pride. I mean, that's how it yep. was rolled out. I mean, everybody had a, had a pickup truck and you had a couple shotguns and a gun rack in the back and you had this, Rebel flag decal because it was about those darn Yankees. And, you know, we weren't going to let the federal government tell us what to do. But the connotations around that flag have changed so much in my lifetime. I mean, it's, it is no longer a sense of pride. It is a sense of embarrassment for a lot of people within our state. And we're just ready to kind of close that chapter in Mississippi's history. No, and, and do you guys, and again, I say you guys, I mean, Mississippi State, is, is, is the state flag flown on campus currently? Has not been flown at Mississippi State since 2015. As a matter of fact, all 11 of the state's institutes of higher learning do not fly the state flag on campus. Okay. If it's that divisive where, where all 11 universities aren't flying the flag, then it's definitely time to change it. I mean, it's, it's you know, whether you agree or disagree that the, that the rebel flag is racist or not, to a lot of people it is. And if it's supposed to represent all people of the state of Mississippi, then yeah, it needs to be changed. Well, one thing that I'll say about that, too, and, yeah, I, I had my own show here a couple of weeks ago, and I mentioned right after the Sankey announcement, and we knew the NCAA news was on its way, and, and I mentioned, you know, I'm not willing to trade college baseball regionals for a, for a flag. I'm not willing to trade these memories, you know, for a flag. And at a couple of the, the, the support was overwhelming, but a couple of people that were kind of had dissenting opinions, and as I share with both of them, listen, I don't think the state or federal government should ever infringe on your right to do whatever you want to at your house. If you want to fly the American flag, the state flag, the stars and bars, whatever you want to fly at your house is your business. I won't judge you for it or take any less of you for it. That is your decision. But when we decide what we're going to fly over our state capital, that kind of makes it my business too. And I think collectively we have to kind of agree to agree to disagree here that, you know what, if we have such a flag, that is such an embarrassment to so many people in the state, then we have to put some serious thought into changing it. No, I agree with you 100%. And, you know, just from a personal level, you know, you don't even think about things sometimes. And obviously this is a much bigger issue at a state level. But the other day I have a Dukes of Hazard shirt I wear. And I happen to wear it to work and think, oh, God, I've been wearing this to work for a year or two, however long I've had it. And I was thinking, you know, I hadn't even never crossed my mind until the other day. Maybe I shouldn't be wearing this shirt right now. Yeah, it's yeah, you know, and that's the thing too. You know, people talk about you know it's it's kind of what you're raised with, but at some point, you know, we have to kind of outgrow our raising. But that's one of the things that I think about. You know, when I, we we're out so many African American athletes, you know, we go to football combines and things like that, and you know, I wear a lot of concert shirts, and I'll be honest with you, some of them I think about. You know what? I don't know if I want to wear this out in public. You know, it's one thing to wear it to a club or to a show, but you know, there, you know, there's some of that imagery and stuff like that you look at and you begin to think, okay, how, how am I representing myself? Does my cho- choice of clothing represent my value system at times? And that's exactly what you're talking about. And there's so many people in this state that have kind of hung on to that whole thing. And there's listen, there's no shortage of people in the state of Mississippi that take pride in the fact that we are the last state to have the Confederate battle emblem on the flag. They see it as a sense of defiance, you know, and there's 50 states in the Union, and 49 of them have the the seal of America where the eagle faces reverently towards Washington. But on the state capitol in the state of Mississippi, they had the butt of the eagle facing Washington because that's kind of 
who we are as Mississippians. We've always been kind of defiant. And so that's been one of the concerns, too, with all these outsiders kind of saying, you got to do it, you got to do it. It's kind of stoked those fires of those people that just simply don't want to be told what to do. Yeah, I can get that. Something else kind of along these lines I want to touch on before we get back to talking some football and um, what's in store for Mike Leach's first season there in Starkville. Um, speaking of Coach Leach, um, back, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was now. I guess maybe it was back in um, April. I guess, yeah, early April or so. Um, but Coach Leach tweeted a picture and just as a, it was meant as a quarantine joke. Uh, it was it was of a woman knitting a noose and uh, said something, uh, I think maybe it called it a scarf. <laughs> and, uh, Needless to say, uh, it was not well received, uh, especially there in the state of Mississippi. So what, what were your thoughts on that situation? Well, the first thing that I'll say is I don't think there was any malice intent, uh, malicious intent at all for uh, for Coach Leach. I don't, I just don't think he thought it through. You know, I think he thought, hey, this is a, a funny quarantine joke. Is uh, I can't remember the woman's name, but you know, Gertrude, you know, knits a scarf for her husband. You know, it's really about a husband and a wife that are getting a little cabin fever and a little sick of each other. And that was the joke, but it's one of those, there's some imagery because of our shameful record of civil rights in this state, uh, you know, back in the 60s and well beyond that, uh, is there's just some images that just you, you don't joke about. And, uh, again, I, I think that's not knowing the room. You know, I think it's one of those deals where Mike thought it was funding and says, hey, I'll just send this out here. And never at any point do I think he realized how it would blow up the way that it did. That joke's a, a little different kind of received differently in the state of Washington than it would be in the state of Mississippi. And, and again, I want to reiterate, I don't believe for one second that Mike Leach is a racist, and I don't think he ever intended that to be a racial joke. But, uh, the you know, it, it's one of those things about beauties in the eyes of the beholder, you know, for other people, how they interpret it. Uh, I can't sit here and say, you know, listen, you're wrong in your interpretation. I just think the intention was to be humorous, and he simply didn't understand how explosive that image would be. Getting back to the, um, what's happening between the lines, um, Coach Leach obviously has a tremendous track record with what he does on the offensive side of the ball and uh, bringing quarterbacks along. Uh, obviously, Gardner Minshew is a Mississippi native that played for him at Washington State uh, out of Brandon, Mississippi, and now doing big things with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, but um, obviously you have K.J. Costello, the Stanford grad transfer, coming in. Then you have the highly regarded high school prospect, Will Rogers, out of Brandon, Mississippi, just like Gardner Minshew. And then you uh, – I actually was not aware of this until I was preparing for this interview, but 2021 prospect Sawyer Robertson, who, funny enough, is from Lubbock, Texas, 6'3 6'4", pushing 200 pounds, and uh, turned down some tremendous offers to uh, to commit to the Bulldogs. So talk about the quarterback room. Yeah, it's one of those things. Uh, he, he immediately transformed the quarterback room. You know, it was you know, KT Thompson – uh, was expected you know, to kind of compete last year for a starting position. Tommy Stevens was brought in as a grad transfer. Tommy ultimately won the job, and KT entered the transfer portal. Elected to withdraw, took a redshirt year. Now he's at Virginia, uh, and that's you know that's prior to kind of the Mike Leach you know hire. But uh, be that as it may, you bring in KJ Costello, uh, you bring in uh, another transfer, Alan Walters from Vanderbilt is also now part of the program, and so there's a lot of competition, and, and our folks. Are, but Washington State have told me to expect that every year, that he is going to add competition to the quarterback room each and every season, whether it's a walk-on or a grad transfer or whatever, because he firmly believes that nobody should ever get comfortable and that the best guy should always play. 
And so if you go back and look at some of his uh, years at Washington State, there's been times he's had as many as three quarterbacks play, and all of them have been very proficient in the offense. And so uh, one of the best barometers, I think, of how Mike Leach is received nationally is that Sawyer Robertson and Daniel Greek, neither one of those guys was on the Mississippi State recruiting radar. And within no time of Mike Leach getting here, he gets Greek committed and then gets Sawyer Robertson committed. So he knew exactly who he wanted before he got to Mississippi State and was able to successfully recruit them and join him here. Steve, uh, sorry, go ahead, Kyle. Well, Steve, uh, the other big topic of the day is uh, is obviously COVID-19. Um, how are things going? Obviously, no baseball. Uh, unfortunately, I guess now we'd be uh, what either where would we be at? Would we be in the World Series by this point? If yeah, we'd be we'd be in the finals. We'd be in the uh, Mississippi State. Would be ready to win a national championship. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. it'd be a hell of a series for each uh, one. I can I can only imagine Cliff Godwin and Chris Lamontis in those post game press conferences. It's fun to think about. Yeah. So no baseball. How, how are um, how are things um, progressing with football practice? Uh, in a, well, I guess right now we're in voluntary workouts uh, down in Mississippi State. Yes, yeah, State had four kids on that initial first wave that tested positive for COVID. All four of them were asymptomatic and weren't in the quarantine, and uh, they're all out of quarantine now. And, and so you've had uh, 14 new signees show up today. They'll be tested. We'll wait for results on that. And, and that's one thing, too, I think listeners need to be aware of. With all of these second session summer school guys showing up around the country, we're going to have another wave of positive tests. That doesn't mean we're not going to have college football, but we're going to have another wave because there's more testing being done. And so, so far, state's been able to kind of contain things and uh, set up protocols. And one of the things that I had learned early on when they brought everybody back in June is that the SEC kind of had everybody on the same page of how they wanted to handle this. And uh, you're talking to our people. that They've been very pleased with how things have gone so far. Uh, I think this next couple of weeks are going to be really big for college football because, you know, players are going to be able to finish up these workouts and get on the field. And what's going to happen when we start mixing these guys in, you know, with regular students as they begin their arrive, you know, for summer school and for uh, for August in-person testing. And so uh, that's going to be interesting to see. But so far, so good. Yeah, and one thing just in general that – I haven't really heard anybody address very much, and you just said they were asymptomatic. So look, you're talking about 18-, 19-year-old athletes, and even the general student population by and large, 18-, 19-year-old, they're going to be in good shape. You know, this virus really seems to affect older people and people with underlying issues, and even so, even then, the mortality rate is getting better with this thing all the time, even as cases are starting to go back up in some areas, such as North Carolina. And, you know, I, I wonder at what point do we say, all right, these kids are going to get it, but it's going to affect them. No, basically, it's going to be the equivalent of a really bad cold. You know, one of the things that I wonder, kind of along those lines, is, you know, they have a, the mandatory 14-day quarantine, right? So when you have a positive test. So what happens in the season when a kid tests positive? Well then, then you got to quarantine him. So then, so then we're going to have an injury report. And we're going to have a quarantine report. You know, so that that can absolutely impact the season. You may have a kid that's completely asymptomatic, but he tests positive and has to go through a 14-day mandatory quarantine. That could change the season. I mean, you may have you know a, you know a, a playoff contending team might lose their quarterback for a couple of weeks against the you know 
a couple of conference opponents and they've dropped the ball games. And so it's going to be a wild year, but I think it's one of those things that we're all going to kind of figure this thing out together. Uh, I do think that the younger people, especially those that are so closely monitored by medical staff, are probably the safest in the country. Uh, but you know, I, I think we could see some restrictions where perhaps they say, hey, listen, uh, you know, we're going to allow you know, 50% capacity, but no fans over the age of 60. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, how do you limit that, and, and how do you kind of police that? And so, that's something I think that the college administrators have to figure out here the next few weeks. But uh, I firmly believe that we're going to have football, fans or not. But I think that we're going to play football, and I think this country needs it. Yeah, I think you're getting to a slippery slope when you when you when you restrict things because of age. Uh, you could piss a lot. Of- a lot of people off. Uh, you know, one thing I, I wonder, I wonder if anybody w- would have the guts, and I'm not suggesting this, but I wonder if anybody would have the guts to try to go ahead and go with herd immunity. Uh, damn it, one person's got it. Let's get every kid in here, get every one of them infected all at one time here in June or July and get it over with. Yeah, I, I wonder that too. I know early on, you know, like Alabama and LSU had a bunch of kids test positive, and I wondered, you know, is that not a better thing, you know, to go ahead and kind of get them exposed to it and, have them develop some antibodies, you know, before you start fall camp and before you start the season, you know, I guess we'll see. I mean, you know, there's no guarantee at this point you won't have a recurrence of it. I mean, it's kind of like the flu. I mean, there's different strains of the flu. You get a flu shot every year, but sometimes you still get sick. And so uh, my hope is is that it that it becomes something that we can, you know, control, whether it be with a vaccine or, or better treatments. But um, – these are unprecedented times, and you know it's, it's weird that we're even having these conversations. Ordinarily, we'd, we'd be talking about you know first week opponents and uh, getting ready for fall camp and, and uh, voluntary workouts, but we're talking about contingency plans about what happens if the entire quarterback room uh, tests positive for COVID nineteen. Do, do you put a wide receiver out there and just run the, the wildcat and play? You know. Yeah, no, that's a good question. And just to finish up the COVID discussion, how are things in Mississippi in general right now? Uh, how are the numbers? And uh, what phase are you guys at in terms of opening things back up? Uh, in North Carolina, we're in phase two. We're supposed to go into phase three. It is not going to happen another three weeks of phase two. And as of Friday, everybody in the state has to wear a mask because our numbers are going up. Yeah, well, you know, we've been back open for a long time. You know, we were one of the first states to go back open, but our, our numbers have uh, have continued to climb. We had a really rough day yesterday, but, you know, mortality rates, you know, among, you know, younger people, of course, are, are what we're seeing nationally. But uh, one of the problems that we have in Mississippi, and I can say this because I am a Mississippian, you know, we're not a very healthy state. You know, we have a lot of people that uh, didn't have access to health care as young people and, and as adults. And then as a result, uh, they're not especially healthy. And so when they contract, but they've had they've had a very difficult time where we're a state that's uh, among the worst in the nation when it comes to obesity, and so that leads to diabetes and high blood pressure, which are both underlying issues. And so that's been a real concern. But what we've really had trouble is in long-term care facilities. I mean, once it's gotten into those long-term care facilities, we have seen it spread like wildfire, and the mortality rates have just been incredible. Uh, and so those are things that you monitor. But, uh, you know, I, I suspect that uh, we might see – things tighten up a little bit here in the coming weeks if the numbers don't improve. Steve, one of the one of the things I really wanted to ask you about, one of the intriguing hires uh, for Mike Leach uh, was who who was the defensive coordinator going to be. And he was able to lure a guy away who had just been on the job, what, a week or two or something at Syracuse. And, um, and that's Zach Arnett. He had spent the last couple years as a defensive coordinator for a very successful San Diego State Aztec program under Rocky Long. So uh, talk about that hire. 
Yeah, I mean, and see, Zach Arnett played in a three-three-five for Rocky Long in New Mexico, and then as soon as his playing career was over, he joined, uh, you know, Coach Long there at San Diego State as a GA, worked his way up as a linebackers coach, and eventually the DC and the play caller. And so, so yeah, I mean, he's got the pedigree Mike Leach is looking for. Mike Leach has always said Rocky Long's the best defensive coordinator in the game. Uh, and so to go get one of his disciples makes perfect sense. What's interesting is he did accept a job at Syracuse. They did not have a signed contract in place, which is amazing to me in this day and age. And so uh, Mississippi State's able to hire him away. Uh, it's a bit of a power move to be able to go in there and do that and go get the guy you want, uh, even after he's already made the decision and made the move to Syracuse. Uh, but, yeah, they get him in. They want to run a three-three-five, and that's the thing, too. At Mississippi State, you got to be a little bit creative. you got to be a little different. You know, we're not going to be able to run the Alabama scheme with the same proficiency with less than Alabama talent. So, as a result, you got to be a little different. And I can't begin to imagine the nightmare that Mississippi State's going to be for opponents with the air raid offense and a three-three-five defense because you don't see either one of those regularly. Now you got to prepare both sides of the ball for something you never see, so there's no carryover week to week. And so I think that element of things makes Mississippi State a much tougher opponent. How is SEC Media Day going to be handled this year? It's all going to be virtual. And, uh, yeah, I don't know that we're going to get the same number of players that we had before. You know, before they were talking about, hey, we're still going to do it. But I think now they're just trying to protect student athletes. Everything will be virtual. I don't even know the dates yet. I don't think they set the dates yet. They, they just told us they're going to do it and they'll be selected players. And, uh, yeah, the main thing you miss from all that is, you know, it's all those, you know, those off the record conversations you have with coaches and you, you kind of gather some nuggets and you get some notebooks and you get some one on ones kind of away from the, uh, the podium. Well, you're not going to have access to that anymore. So there's going to be a lot less information that's made available. But, uh, you know, be that as it may, I mean, Media Day is always kind of the beginning of football season. So, uh, you know, we're happy to have it, but uh, it won't nearly be as much fun or quite as eventful as it has been in years past, and rightfully so. Yeah, and it's a shame, man. Leach's first SE Media Day uh, won't be in person. I was looking forward to that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's one of the things I, I joke with people all the time. I say this is the highlight of my career because I get to cover Mike Leach in, in football. Because uh, can you imagine being able to go to those weekly press conferences? And, and I've had a chance to – to interview him one-on-one a couple times, and uh, the first time we spoke for over an hour, and he interviewed me the first 20 minutes. You know, it's just uh, it's interesting, and, and he's one of those kind of guys, too. Once you get him going on something, whether it be football-related or something he's very passionate about outside of the game, I mean, he has shot out of a cannon, and, and it's not just the funny stuff. He's, he's just so well-read about everything, and uh, he, he takes influence from everywhere. I, I've read his first book, uh, Swing Your Sword. I actually have his second book. Uh, about Geronimo that uh, that I'm, I'm about to start reading now, but it's, it's incredible that he actually owns Geronimo's birth certificate, which is weird uh, to think about. Yeah, he, he's such <laughs> such a fan, uh, and he talks about that's the the subtitle of the book is uh, leadership strategies from an American war hero, and it's about the book is about Geronimo, and he he's always been fascinated with American Indians and uh, uh, has a uh, you know all kind of Indian memorabilia and that sort of stuff because he's just fascinated by the culture. Yeah, that as far as Geronimo. Before I get to my the final question I had for you, Steve, as we start to wrap this up, um, have you talked to Coach Leach or had, did you read about how he uh, obtained that? No, not 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 yet. I, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, I just begin to think how do, how do you do that? I mean, how do you how do you get somebody else's birth certificate? You know, maybe. 
maybe he wanted it in an auction or something like that. But I'm with I'd you. I've got that, that same question. I mean, it's like, you know, what do you do? I mean, can I buy your birth certificate if I want it? I mean, it's just kind of a weird deal, you know. Right. Yeah. Like you were saying, I figured it was probably an auction. I, it's like something you would see on uh, – Stars or, or American Picker, American Pickers. Uh, I was just curious what the price tag may have been for that. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I'll get that. And I'll have it for you next time. So. Sounds good. Uh, but the final question I had for you, just looking at the Mississippi State 2020 slate, assuming this does not get altered because of everything we're going through, uh, I noticed that the Bulldogs will have the opportunity to play four out of their first five games at home, and uh, the one time they do go on the road is to a program uh, that East Carolina fans aren't too fond of, of course, with NC State um, coming to Raleigh in week two on September 12th, um, and then uh, and then in October, just an absolutely brutal month, that you have Texas A&M and Auburn at home uh, to start the month and to close the month, and then in between, following an open date after that A&M game, you go to Bama and to LSU. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, it's like you know, there's there's, there's never any uh, there's never any down weeks in the SEC. You know, and and, uh, it, and you know, Alabama, LSU are always tough, but to get them back to back, I mean, I don't know that anybody else has that on their schedule. But you know, state's got to find a way to get out the gate strong. I think no worse than a three and one start. You got to find a win a game in October. Uh, state's had some success. They beat Auburn and A and M both here in their last trip to to Starkville and. Uh, Mississippi State, I guess, has won four of the last five against A&M. It's one of those things a lot of people in the national media miss is that Mississippi State has actually had the better of that series in recent years. I mean, the last time A&M won in Starville was Johnny Manziel's uh, final year there at Texas A&M. So, you know, State's found a way uh, to make that, that series a little more competitive. And then, of course, I think every game in November is winnable. So, I think there'll be a strong start, a rough middle, and then a strong closing. But uh, they've got to find a way. If they really want to be – they're going to be a good bowl team. But if they really want to be in the mix for a Florida bowl, they've got to find a way to win a game or two in October. Yeah, one thing I've always noticed about Mike Leach's teams over the years, it never surprises me who they may lose to, and it never surprises me who they may beat. Yeah, that's true. And and that that's – like. And they beat Texas and then, uh, you know, lose to Baylor. You know, it's, it's like one of those things that's incredible. It's like, uh, you know, you run the same scheme over and over again. You rep it out and rep it out. It's so difficult to get ready for. But teams have always seemed to found a way to kind of elevate their own offense against them. And I think some of that's because historically he has put his best athletes on offense. But now here at Mississippi State, where it's been a defensive-minded school for years and years, and that's pretty much what the state produces, is uh, defensive players, and so I think he'll have a different brand of athlete. So the hope is perhaps they'll be a little more consistent on both sides of the football. And that that final game in the month of September, um, obviously these Carolina fans um, being in the American Conference, um, that homecoming matchup with Tulane, a steadily improving Green Wave program under Willie Fritz, um, that's that's one that I'll definitely be keeping an eye on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, that's I give State some credit for you know. Going out and scheduling some some of these regional matchups that are actually pretty competitive. I mean, that's you know, State and Southern Miss has played you know several times the last few years, and there was there was a stretch there. You know, when when we went to eight conference games back in '92, they that's the game they dropped was the rivalry game from Southern Miss, and and Southern Miss had had a good run there in the '70s against Mississippi State, but State's dominated since we've returned. But yeah, you, know, you go out and you get Tulane, and uh, that, that's a, that's a matchup for for years. State didn't play, you know, and so 
I think it makes for a good trip. I mean, I think going down and playing Tulane in, in the uh, in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in September instead of in the heat is a very, very good decision. So I look forward to doing that down the road. Steve, we appreciate the visit. Um, but before we let you go, um, let folks know where they can follow and uh, read your work and then uh, follow you on social media and um, and just all about Gene's page. Sure, absolutely. Thanks so much for that. And uh, jeanspage.com, we are the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. Uh, we are we own the market. There's nobody else out here. We've, we've put everybody outside of business, and so kind of proud of that. But also, too, I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. And then if they want to buy books, uh, they can go to starkvillainsthebook.com. I've got two books out. My third book will be out in September. We're in the final stages of editing now. And uh, looking forward to getting that bad boy out there. It's another book about the Mississippi State Ole Miss robbery. Sounds great. As always, we appreciated um, the time. and appreciate you coming on the show and enjoy the conversation. And we we'd love to have you back on, assuming we're able to play some football here in the next couple months. And uh, maybe middle of the year, we can uh, check back in with you and see how things are going in Coach Leach's first season down there in Starkville. Thank you very much, Steve. I uh, want to let everybody know that uh, a big-time prediction uh, for the Pirates uh, what do you think about Pirates and Mississippi State being in a super regional? Or maybe they're in a regional together. Maybe the – how about this? Uh, Steve wouldn't like it, but what if uh, – I'll tell you one thing, Steve. If you come to Greenville uh, when we have a regional or super regional, um, we'll take you out and get you some great barbecue from eastern North Carolina. And um, we'll, we'll take you, and uh, you'll definitely um, have the run of the town. We'll take care of you for sure. Well, don't you think, guys? Yeah, I'd much rather host Mississippi State in a super than uh... – then have them host us. But uh, hey, just to be the super will be great, and not having baseball. I think that uh, Bubba and I were talking the other day um, about not having sports, and and I know that's been hard for us somewhat. But we all live busy. All three of us live busy lives, and we missed it. Not maybe to the level we thought, but um, when you think about the one sport I've missed the most has definitely been the ECU college baseball this year. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. But um, yeah, as far as Mississippi State and baseball is concerned, um, maybe uh, maybe Coach Godwin and company they can get Coach Lamonis uh, to maybe bring the Bulldogs from one year to the Keith McClear Classic. Uh, obviously, when we had Ole Miss come in this year, and I, I know that that relationship, uh, deep relationship between uh, East Carolina head coach Cliff Godwin and Coach Bianco down there at Ole Miss, but. It would it'd be nice to see the Bulldogs come to come to uh, G Vegas. But, uh, oh, it would be fantastic. I, I think, uh, let me say this, it was on my mind um, this morning because I'm a huge fan of Cliff Godwin and ECU baseball. Um, you know, he's a, he's a guy, we were just talking to Steve Robertson, and made me think about that too with, uh, with SEC. Cliff Godwin is a guy that gets what he wants. So the same thing where Mike Houston could be said for the indoor practice facility. No, it's a tough time right now financially, um, but we've had Cliff on the show a couple times, and we've talked about the things he wants. And the one thing that, again, um, we need to get Cliff what he wants for the player, the former players. Uh, he wants a former player's locker room. I know he wants a weight room um, for the team. There's uh, improvements he wants to see, and I don't know the price tag on it. I haven't uh, had the chance, obviously, to study that. Um and I'll be fair about that. But whatever it is, let's put it out there. 
and raise the money and get Cliff what he wants. Because, I mean, think about it, guys. We hired a volleyball coach um, today. It would be great to think at some point we would have a national program um, with ECU women's volleyball. But we can definitely say right now, without a shadow of a doubt, that ECU baseball is a top 25 program perennially every year. It's not like a flash-in-the-pan kind of thing. It's not like every once in a while, once in a generation. Our baseball team is very good every single year. And when you talk to guys like Steve nationally, they know who um, Cliff Godwin is. They know who ECU baseball is a, is a great team and a great program. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 we we have a great baseball program. It's national level. I mean, we're we're regional, super regional, and uh, you know, I think College World Series contenders almost every year. Um, so uh, no, no, there's no doubt that uh, ECU baseball is a uh, is an elite program. Uh, no what question. A, last thing I had, guys. Um, I don't know if you noticed it earlier today. Um, today being uh, Wednesday. For the twenty fourth. So um, you, you had um, Stephen Igo put it out on his the colors in, in, as far as uh, the twenty twenty class, the entire twenty twenty class, including Mason Garcia, has been added to the roster. And uh, we had ten guys report mid year, who unfortunately uh, left campus uh, a couple months later with everything that's been going on with COVID nineteen. Uh, but then sixteen more have been added. And then we had 12 walk-ons that are going to be joining the program. And then Stephen Igo said there's actually going to be more. But uh, as of right now, we already know about 12 of those walk-ons. So. Nice. That's uh, that's uh, some some uh, Ruffin McNeil type stuff right there for and, walk-ons. And yeah. as far as far as the FBS transfers that have been so um, so well documented, um, you've had. Nigel Knott, Chris Willis, and they're already enrolled and added to the roster. Um, and then also um, the, the the ones that have not been added thus far are uh, Chase Hayden. Chase Hayden is there and working out, but he's still waiting to be uh, waiting on some compliance paperwork from Arkansas. And then uh, also uh, we're trying to get um, needs to be added to the roster. Um, Ryan Jennings out of Oakland. He he's still finishing up, and I go said that probably won't won't happen until uh, the end of July, I think. Okay, well, long be here in August. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, I was just going to say, Bubba, the the I'm happy to see that the the coaches bringing in. Uh, I, I think there's uh, not only the sign of him building a program, but also guys uh, contingency plan. Of uh, certainly with COVID nineteen because I'm hearing you know that they're gonna <laughs> that you know we may have a possibility where uh, you have ten guys not playing one week or you may have uh, more than that and you have to have enough guys ready to go to play on Saturday or Thursday or whatever day we're playing and that's something we've never really had to think about is um, maybe the only time you would think about it is uh, I know a number of years ago Miami or different teams have had a number of guys suspended for a game. Um, speaking of you, um, but as far as but as far as uh, this being health related, I don't think I mean I've never known anything like this happen. Maybe a guy sick or um, something like that, not injured well, but sick. In the in, there was that time back in like 1919. Though. I know I'm talking. I wasn't living during that time. I know you were, but 
not in our lifetime, not in the last hundred years. So, yeah, correct. But as far as Ryan Jones is concerned, I just hope that Ryan Jones is, uh, is I've one, I mean, taking care of business academically, so he'll he'll graduate and be able to um, be a grad transfer as anticipated. But uh, he's in that same boat that Audio Matosho, East Carolina wide receiver, uh, who came in from UCLA last year. Um, Aldi didn't come in the best of shape, so hopefully Ryan is able to uh, to work out and do the things that he needs to do so he can make that quick transition. And because we certainly, uh, I'm sure, uh, expect him to be a contributor this year. Lincoln better get on him and make sure he's ready to be a part. <laughs> uh, very, very true, especially for the folks of, out here in Creeble. By the way, we got to give a shout out to a friend of the podcast, Bubba. Uh, Sut Young, right? Uh, who actually has uh, got a, a good job. Being he's actually a student in East Carolina, but we found out uh, today, right, that he's going to be working with the American. Yeah, congratulations to Sutton. Um, he's able to to get that opportunity with the American Athletic Conference. Um, Sutton Sutton will be um, working with them with their Campus Connect program. So. That's an awesome opportunity for him in his first year in Greenville. And and um, appreciative of Sutton and um, a little bit he's helped us out with some different graphics and so forth. And um, we'll probably have him on the show here soon to talk about his new opportunity. Have we had Haley Alton on the podcast? Yes, we have twice. Again? Yeah, we have, yeah, we have twice. Well, where the hell was that? Uh, you were out to lunch, I guess. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Are you talking about? Haley Alton, she actually left the American. But, um, oh, she did? Okay. okay. Yeah, she left what Haley. opportunity came her way? I don't know, um, but I remember reading that because I was disappointed because uh, she represented East Carolina very well, and I still thought she did a great job with the American. And, um, I'll have to see where she went, but I know she left. It's been in the last couple months, I want to say. Okay. Um, sometime in the spring, I remember – well, maybe of, we should have Haley on to see what she's up to these days. Yeah, yeah, we can have her back on. Uh, why not? We can do it. Um, that's what we're hey, – well, hey, that's one thing that not everybody can say is we have great guests, right? So um, we definitely do. And uh, we, but speaking of which, Bubba, before we go, tell people the next podcast we have. Yeah, coming up on Thursday night, uh, join us on Facebook and YouTube Live as we as we will be joined by – Charles Arbuckle, former UCLA tight end and longtime college football analyst. And um, the second half hour on Thursday night, uh, right right there around 7.30, we will be joined by Marcellus Harris, who played wide receiver for the Pirates from 97 to 2000, uh, catching catching balls from Danny Gonzalez, um, Bobby Weaver, and David Garrard. It seems like we've been talking about having Charles Arbuckle on for a while now. I don't believe it's ever going to happen. Well, he he was supposed, supposed to be, to be on last Thursday, but uh, he unexpectedly uh, was going on a vacation. So he was he was nice enough to give us a heads up a couple of days in advance, and uh, and and said that he'd love to come on this Thursday. Gotcha. It's gonna be great. And then obviously, don't forget about Friday night trivia. And also, before we leave, Bubba, uh, very excited about season tickets. But if you want a chance to win a pair of season tickets. We have our season ticket sweepstakes going on right now for the nearby future. So uh, tell folks about how they can win the tickets. Yeah, follow us on Twitter at eSportsOBJ, and we have a pinned tweet there that outlines the contest. Um, so 
what I'm about to say is, seems kind of complicated and it's, re- and it's really pretty simple, but um, in addition to following us on Twitter and uh, retweeting that pinned tweet um, to put your name in the hat once, you can follow us, like us, and uh, share our post on um, this at the top of our page on Facebook. That will put your name in the hat a second time. Also, subscribe wherever you listen to the show, screenshot that, and, and um, send it to us on Twitter or Facebook, and then... Last but not least, on uh, YouTube, subscribe and do the same thing. Just show us that you subscribed, and and uh, we'll put your name in the hat a fourth time to have a chance to win these East Carolina season football tickets. All right, so it'll be fantastic. Thanks, by the way, for a lot of views and listens. Our podcast is growing, so you can listen to the podcast anywhere, your favorite podcast, wherever you listen to that. And uh, certainly, like you said, with all the social media, if you want to have a chance to win, those season tickets. Guys, do you have anything before we go? No. No. Go Pirates. Go Pirates. Do you have anything? All right. Sounds good. Go Pirates. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day, the rest of your evening, whatever time of day you're listening. And we'll see you back next time. You've been listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. You've been listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Join us next time as the guys will be objective. And the objective is sports.